0: Genesis chapter 3, God has created everything in chapters 1 and 2. He gave us details about how He created man, how He created woman, how He uh, established them as a team. And uh, now chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And then to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return." And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you know, we've all seen our share of before and after pictures. Uh, They seem to uh, pop up uh, continually in life. This next screen will show you some uh, before and after photos. Uh, The furniture restorers are always happy to show you the before and after photos. The cosmetic surgeons will even show, or the hair, hair restorers, rather, will show you the before and after. I, that, that, that's a picture of one of our guys here at the church, uh, before and after. Uh, and then there's the landscapers that want to show you the front yard before and the front yard after. Or maybe the backyard before or the backyard after. And there's always lots of before and after pictures to show us what it looked like. Before they showed up on the scene and what it looked like after they finished their work. Well, today we're going to consider a more amazing before and after picture than anything that we have ever seen before. It's the before and after picture that doesn't follow the, the direction of the before and after pictures that were just on the screen. Because on those, the before picture wasn't so hot. But the after picture was amazing. The before and after picture that is in the scripture we're considering this morning shows us the before picture that was really amazing and the after picture that left much to be desired. We are on Sunday mornings looking at family designed by God and learning how God designed the very first family he created in the Garden of Eden. We started by looking at how God created Adam and Eve as a team in chapter 1 of Genesis and how that they were a team working together uh, to accomplish a great work of God. And then we saw in the second message that that Adam was the team's captain and uh, in and then the third message, Eve, was the team's co-captain and how God created them at different times out of different substances for different purposes. And He designed them uniquely for the role that He created them for. And so we have seen this amazing, uh, this amazing picture of before Genesis chapter 3. A picture of a team with a great spirit. A picture of a servant leader who, who loved uh, the, the one that he led and led her through that love. We saw a perfect helper that uh, that lived to be able to make the captain of the team effective and successful. But then all of a sudden we get to chapter 3 and everything gets messed up. And the after picture leaves much to be desired when compared to the before picture of God's Perfect family that he designed. In chapter 3, we read that man and woman rejected and reversed the roles that God created for them. We saw the man accuse the woman as the source of all of his problems. We saw both kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And we get to the end of chapter 3 and we say, What happened? Chapter 1 and chapter 2 was so glorious. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 was the perfect family. Everything was as God designed it to be, and it was perfect. And then all of a sudden, chapter 3 comes along, and the team fails drastically. And so this morning, I want to paint the after portrait of what the team looked like after sin entered into the world. I want you to know that Genesis chapter 3 is one of the most profound chapters in all the Bible. Everything else in the Bible after Genesis 3 is the unfolding and it's God's description of what happened in his human fa- in his human family after sin brought the downfall of of Adam and Eve's relationship and Adam and Eve's life. Everything else in the Bible from that day forward unfolds in, in such detail. The ramifications and results of Genesis 3. That's why Genesis 3 is so important to understand. We can't understand our Bible if we don't understand Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 provides for us a picture of sin as the problem and Jesus as the answer. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the rest of the Bible. We have the existence of sin, where it came from, how it impacted humanity, for the rest of humanity's existence, but how Jesus Christ is the answer that solves the problem that sin creates. Now, if you don't understand the depth of the problem that sin created, you'll never appreciate the magnitude of Jesus Christ as the answer. And therein lies much of the problem In today's Christianity, there is little understanding of sin. There's little understanding of what sin is and how deeply it impacts and affects every human being. And if I have a shallow view of sin, then I cannot have a a majestic view of Jesus Christ. As my view of sin comes out of the basement and elevates to the point that it's not all that bad. Then the majesty of Jesus comes down to being, he's just a good friend. He's just a buddy. He's just a guy that lives upstairs. The majesty of Jesus Christ is magnified when the depth of sin is appreciated. That's why Jesus Christ said that the reason that the prostitute who got saved and delivered from her immoral life was so broken and so in love with Jesus Christ for what he'd done for her, that Jesus Christ said, he who is forgiven of little loves little. And he who's forgiven of much, loves much. And as the view of sin becomes just a few mistakes I make. My capacity to understand the majesty of my Jesus. Comes down to match the mediocrity of my understanding of how bad my sin is. And how horrible its ramifications are. Therein lies the power of taking the word of God at face value. Reading it, studying it, and believing it in its entirety. Rather than cherry picking the portions of it that make me feel better about myself. And so Genesis chapter 3 is the ugly, ugly, ugly picture of what happened to the first family after sin came into the picture, this um, this marriage team fell apart. In one brief moment, it fell apart. And what happened when they sinned bore ramifications that that impacted them deeply, because sin robs. Us, it robs our homes of unity, of relationship, of peace, of joy. And of all the comfort and benefit that God designed to be the commonplace daily experience of a home that he designed it. But the good news is that God provides an answer that reverses the impact of sin. And that good news comes in towards the end of the chapter. Now, understanding chapter 3 isn't only about husband-wife relationship, although the only human beings that existed in Genesis 3 was a husband and a wife. But the magnitude of the sin that entered into their home affects all of us, whether we are in a home, whether we have a spouse. It it, it, It impacts us no matter who we are and where we are, it impacts us everywhere all the time. What I want us to do this morning, and this is a two-part message. Next Sunday morning, uh, we will, as you see, there's a part one up there, I believe. We'll see part two of the failure next week. we will take us two weeks to understand Genesis 3. This morning, I want to share with you the consequences of sin. What does sin do to you? What are the consequences of sin in your life? And Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we will look at the sin itself and find out what was sin. What did they do that made it sinful? And so this morning, the consequences, next Sunday morning, Lord willing, the, the identity of sin and what it is in our lives. So let's look at the consequences. You see there's three consequences on your little sermon worksheet there in front of you. One is to consider the consequences of sin because from this chapter, from the introduction, God's introduction of the subject of sin into the human race so that humans forever after this will be able to go back to Genesis 3 and understand the consequences of sin in our lives. God painted a portrait of three consequences. Here's the first consequence. These are consequences within you. The consequences within you. Doesn't matter if there's anybody else around. Doesn't matter if you're if you have a spouse or if you, or, or, or if it's at work or, or or any it doesn't matter it's you as a person. What does sin do to you as a person? And there're two consequences Of sin within you. And the first of the two. Consequences within you. Is that you. Develop an awareness. Of things you really don't need to know. You develop an awareness of something. That you really don't need to know. In verse number seven of our text. The Bible says. The eyes of them both were opened. And they knew. I want you to notice that. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew. They knew something that they didn't know before. Their eyes were open to see something that their eyes had not recognized before. And before, they were the perfect team. They lived in a perfect relationship individually with God and with a The team captain and co-captain, the husband and wife, individually living in a perfect relationship with God, they had a perfect relationship with one another. Because a marriage team is like a triangle with a husband and a wife and God at the top. And the closer each one gets to God, the closer they get to each other. And the further they get away from God, the further they get from one another. And so before Genesis 3... We have a perfect team with a perfect union together. And in that perfection, there there are things they don't know. They didn't need to know. It was better for them not to know. But as soon as they sinned, their eyes were open to subject matter they should never have known about. And they knew some things that they should have never understood. Adam and Eve experienced the passing from pure innocence to a knowledge of good and evil. Now, we're different from that. We're born sinners, we we have an understanding and knowledge of good and evil from very early in our lives. Adam and Eve didn't experience that. They they experienced a time of innocence and then a time of a knowledge of good and evil. We possess that knowledge from early in life, and our experiences with sin bring us into a knowledge of sinful things. The more you experience sin or the more you're given to understand sinful things, the more you understand good and evil and It used to be said, I don't know if the the term is used much anymore, but it used to be said in a city someone was called streetwise when they understood the inner workings of the wickedness of a city. They were streetwise. They understood how this town works. God has a knowledge of good and evil without becoming influenced by evil. That's an interesting thought to meditate on. God has a knowledge of good and evil without being influenced by the evil that he knows. Because he's God and there's nothing sinful in him. There's nothing that can get a hold of him by way of temptation. Because there's nothing in him to get a hold of to tempt him to do wrong. God in his perfection, in his holiness is not influenced by the evil that he knows pervades the created world that he created. We're not like that. Adam and Eve were like that. We're not like that. Satan tempted Eve to disobey God with the promise that she would become like God and know good and evil. Oh, Eve, if you'll just... God is holding back from you knowledge and information and awareness... That, oh, if you can just, he knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. And you'll know good from evil. The reality was, when they ate the fruit, they did become like God. In that they knew good from evil, good and evil. But they, did, they were not like God in that they were not of a, of an of a essence and a character that sin could not get a hold of them and draw them into sinful behavior. God could know good from evil and not be influenced by the evil. Man can know good from evil but cannot not be influenced by the evil. Understand that knowledge without the divine character necessary to not be influenced by that knowledge is dangerous. Let me say that again. Think carefully about that knowledge without the divine character necessary to not be influenced by that knowledge is dangerous such knowledge will demand that it be acted upon and this creates an inner turmoil and temptation in the heart of a human being don't let kids learn what they don't need to know. The first consequence of sin inside an individual was that they became aware of what they couldn't handle. They became aware of evil without the character the divine character necessary to not be influenced by that evil. Now, Satan knows that. That's why Satan wants to introduce kids to sin as early as possible. That's why Satan wants to bring people into children's lives as early as possible to give them a knowledge of sinful things. That's why Satan wants television programs to be watched, entertainment media to be seen. That's why Satan wants some kindergarten teachers to teach and inform kindergarten students of the reality of depraved and wicked behavior. And that's why parents always need protect their children from the influence of knowledge of sinful things because the very first consequence of sin in Adam and Eve's life is that their eyes were opened and they knew and humanity has never been the same since and we must work to be able to keep kids from learning what they don't need to know they'll learn what they need to know soon enough preserve their time of innocence preserve their childlike innocency as long into their life as you possibly can by controlling who and what influences them and has their eye gate and their ear gate Because the first consequence of sin is to become aware of things that I didn't need to know. If Adam and Eve needed the knowledge of good and evil, God would have given it to them when he created them. They didn't need that. There are things our kids don't need. I want to read a couple of verses from the book of Jeremiah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I did put the reference... But I want to read, this, this is so, this is a preacher preaching about this very topic that we're talking about. I want to read just a, a, a few of the verses. Listen carefully. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse number 13. The Bible says, For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt Of the daughter of my people slightly. Did you catch that? They have healed people slightly. That's putting a band-aid on a cancer. That's rubbing a little ointment on a wound that goes to the core of your flesh. They only help them slightly. They put a little band-aid on. They rubbed a little bit of ointment so they'd feel better for the moment. They they healed the daughter of my people slightly, saying, How did they heal them just a little bit? They said, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They were ashamed. Uh, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they weren't ashamed. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Are people ashamed of sin? No, they're not ashamed of sin. They have even lost the ability to blush. I'm old enough to remember the day when certain things would not be said by a man in the presence of a lady out of respect for the lady. I'm old enough to remember a time where certain jokes or certain things that would be said would cause someone to blush because they're so ignorant of that subject. They're so ignorant. That's not a part of their daily life. That's not a part of the way their mind works. And they blush and they're embarrassed. God says, Were they ashamed? No, they weren't ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Well, we need to shout that from the the housetop in America today. Go back to the old paths. Go back to the way it used to be. It was the good way. It was based on the word of God. But what do people say when you say go back to the old paths? Verse number 16 goes on to say, but they said we will not walk therein. You can't make us go back to the old ways. And we're not going to blush anymore. And also I said, "Watchmen over you saying hearken to the sound of the trumpet. And they said, we're not going to hearken. I'm going to put preachers out there, to, uh, trumpets, to trumpet the word of God. And, and we're not going to listen. We're not going to listen to the trumpet. we will not hearken to the trumpet. Therefore hear ye nation and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts. Because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor my law. But rejected it. Wow. Wow. God said you don't know my word anymore. But you sure know all about sin. You don't know what thus saith the Lord is. But you sure know what Hollywood says. You can't quote scripture. But you can rattle off. Entire songs. Whose words defame God. You don't know much about my word, but you know a lot about sin. You know, we need to keep a knowledge of sin from the awareness of people, everyone. Someone said, well, this, this, uh, this isn't, uh, kids go to bed. Uh, this, this is mom and dad's movie. This is not your movie. Really? Really? It's so sinful and depraved that I don't want my kids to see it, but I want to lap it up. I will not walk in the old paths. I will not listen to the trumpet blare. I will not hearken to your word. I will reject it. And then a couple of chapters later, in chapter 8 and verse number 8, how do ye say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certain, lo, certainly, in vain made He it. The pen of the scribes is vain. You claim to know the word of God, but yet at the same time, you say the word of God is vain. And the scribes who wrote the word of God were vain. You you, you say that you're wise, and at the same time, you don't listen to the whole counsel of the word of God. You cherry-pick the parts you want to believe in. The wise men are ashamed They're dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? They've rejected what God said and they say they're wise. What wisdom is in them once they've rejected what God says? Therefore will I give their wives to others. In other words, he would would judge them and kill the men and give the wives to the soldiers of the invading army. Their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one of the least, even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness, from the prophet even to the priest. Everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed the herd of, 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 uh, of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not all ashamed. Neither could they. You say, You read that before. No, it's another sermon. Different date, same sermon from the preacher because he was preaching about what they needed to hear not what they wanted to hear same sermon different date from Jeremiah why? because people need to wrestle with the word of God they need to wrestle with the old paths they need to wrestle with what God says because when we have said peace, peace, when there is no peace. And the word of God, you got you to pick and choose. Then we lower our capacity to understand the majesty of our God. When man knows God as he is, that strikes fear in the heart of man blush on his cheeks, and forces him to his face on the ground in humility before such a God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we have an awareness. And then real quickly here, guilt for things that you now know. Verse number 7, I'm back in Genesis 3, verse number 7 at the end of the verse, they immediately began to sew fig leaves together to try to make aprons to hide themselves. This, this is interesting. Have you ever seen what happens to leaves after they're pulled off from a tree for a, for a little while? Can you imagine Adam and Eve with their aprons made out of fig leaves about a couple of weeks down the road? They go to sit down and their leaves all crumble up and they're gone. You know, man has a way of dealing with sin that is far short of how God deals with sin. You know man will make up his own ways to deal with the problem And they're different than the way God makes up to deal with the problem But what I want you to notice is they felt guilty They felt guilty before God We've got to fix the problem of our nakedness We feel guilty, we're aware of things we didn't see before They felt guilty In verse number 10 at the end of the verse Adam said, I was afraid. I hid myself. You see, guilt for things we now know is a consequence of sin within me sin produces an inner turmoil within the soul of a person Isaiah 57 20 says but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest the waters cast up mire and dirt the preachers likened the heart of a sinful person like an ocean in a storm where the currents of water are are taking the dirt off the bottom of the sea and, and, and mixing it all up. And the water gets murky and dirty and the trash comes up to the surface and there's turmoil. And, and the preacher said, that's like the heart of a guilty person. They're like the troubled sea where the water's cast up mire and dirt. You know, we'd be better off to know less about sin. No matter what our age, we'd be better off to know less about sin because the first consequence of sin is that I become aware of things that I really don't need to know about. And then I have a turmoil because what I know demands action on my part. And I begin to wrestle over the temptation to sin and turmoil and guilt become real in my heart. This is the consequence of sin. By the way, that's the first step in salvation because until a person becomes aware of how God sees them and and until guilt begins the turmoil of their soul of meeting such a holy God and being cast into hell, they are not capable of understanding the love of God expressed on Calvary. Sin has consequences. Let me show you real quick the others. Um, Sin has consequences that affect you with God. You see, the, 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 the second consequence is deeper than the first. The first consequence impacts my heart. What I become aware of. What I begin to feel guilty for. But the second consequence affects me with God. And we see in verse number 8 to 10, the fear of God. Man began to fear God because of his sin. Of his sin. Adam said, I heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the, of the day. He, he, he'd heard that voice before. He'd heard the voice of God before. It never caused any problem. He could hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. Now that wasn't a problem, but all of a sudden it's a problem now. I heard your voice. I hid myself. Verse number ten said, "I hid my." Verse number uh, verse number ten. I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid. I was afraid. I feared God. Fear of God is first introduced to us here. The fear of God. What is the fear of God? The fear of God is to hate everything he hates and love everything he loves. And all of a sudden there is in my heart that which God hates. And I'm scared. Because it impacts my relationship to God. What is it to fear God? It's to have a wholesome displeasure. A wholesome dread of displeasing Him. All of a sudden, I had never, I'd never displeased God before. He was never upset with me before. I, I never did anything that I felt guilty of before. I heard His voice and it was great. I hear the voice of God. But now, I heard the voice of God and I realize That I've done wrong. And that's a problem with God. And I'm afraid of God. And I'm going to hide from God. Because I fear Him. Adam and Eve began to be afraid. Satan had told them that by disobeying God they would become like God. That was only partially true. And part of a truth wrapped in the skin of a lie is still a lie. And even though there was a kernel of truth in what Satan said, in the whole it was a lie. You will become like like God only in in the realm of knowing what God knows, but you will not become like God because God has the capacity to know it without being impacted by it. But your knowledge of it resulted in your rebellion against God. Now they know. That God is holy and they were not. And so Adam and Eve were faced with the reality that they had failed to live up to God's level of holiness. Did you catch that? They had realized the reality that they failed to measure up to God's standard of holiness. What the book of Romans talks about when the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short... Of the glory of God. That is we've come short of God. We've come short of God's standard of what holy is. We've come short of what God's standard of right is. And when we realize that we have fallen short of God's standard of right. We're left with fear of God. Hiding from God. Because of what I've done. That led to separation from God. Verse number 23 and 24 says that God cast him out of the garden. Drove them, drove them, verse number 24 says, out of the garden. Put guards so they couldn't get back in. Do you know that was probably, although the Bible doesn't explicitly say it, that was probably an act of mercy. Can you imagine living beyond your physical ability to enjoy life? You know, sin broke... The result of sin was death. The breakdown of the genetic system, the DNA... Every generation we get further away from perfection. Every generation we've got more uh, uh, problems in, in genetic mutations. Every generation away from Adam and Eve we've got, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Can you imagine living forever and it getting worse and worse and worse and worse? The complications of sin on the human body and yet never being able to die? Can you imagine living forever? Without any capacity to enjoy human life. It was probably an act of God's mercy that he put guards and didn't let them get to the tree of life. Where they could eat of the tree of life and not die. They would just get more diseased. They would get more problematic. But they couldn't finally die. The Bible doesn't say that. That's just an Elstalk thought. But I wonder if that wasn't an act of mercy. Separation from God. Moving... Man away from God so he could not fellowship with God. The consequence of sin regarding God. Well, let me, let me give you this last one. The consequence on your team. This is where it comes to the family. We'll have to, let me just introduce it. We'll have to, we'll have to deal a little bit more with it, Lord willing, next week. But I want you to see what the consequences were on Adam and Eve. The first consequence was blame shifting. We read the story already. Adam, what, what, what happened? God, it was that woman you gave me. Ultimately, God, it's your fault for giving her to me. And it's her fault for being in my life. It was her fault. God turned to Eve. And he said it was that serpent. That, that serpent. Uh, he tricked me. Blame shifting. You know, from the first family, sin brings finger-pointing, blame-shifting, and self-justification. That's the consequence of sin into human relationships. I didn't do anything wrong. It's all you. Finger-pointing. Blame-shifting, pride, unwillingness to admit I've done wrong, unwillingness to be held accountable for my actions, the consequence of sin into human relationships. And then, for man, he became stressed out. God said, you guys have eaten pretty good here in the Garden of Eden, but I'm going to make it tough Adam, for you to provide for your family. We learned last week, or two weeks ago, that the man's role is a provider and protector for his team. God said, I'm going to make it hard on you, Adam. Used to be you could grow, I mean, it didn't make any work at all, and you could grow a great garden. But now, you're going to try to grow a garden, you're going to grow briars and thorns and weeds, and out of the sweat of your brow, you're going to produce the food that will feed your family. And so one of the consequences of sin is a stressed-out man who establishes a lifestyle level beyond his ability to provide and then he's stressed out when the bills come. It's January and the credit card bills came in from Christmas and now how are we going to pay the credit card bills from all the gifts we bought on credit card and I'm stressed out and how am I going to do this and, 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 and what is this going to mean to me and stressed out men because they find it very difficult to provide for their family. And then for the woman, pain and conflict. We learned last week that woman brought death into humanity and so God used woman to bring life into humanity. So every time a woman in the pain of childbirth is reminded you brought death and pain into humanity, then she holds that baby in the joy of holding new life, removes the stigma of bringing death. We learned that last week from from the New Testament. But look at it a a little bit further here. Look at verse number number 16. He said to the woman, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shall thou bring forth children. But notice the second part. Not only is the consequence related to childbearing, but verse number 16 says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. You say, "What in the world does that mean?" Well, God didn't take any time without giving us a parallel so that we don't miss it. It's in the next chapter. Cain has sinned, and God pictured sin as a as a, a, a beast just outside the door, wanting to pounce on Cain and destroy him. And God said, "Saying, uh, God said, Cain." Sin lieth at the door and it, and it wants to devour you, it wants to destroy you. Verse number 7 of, uh, of chapter 4. If thou doest well, thou shalt, shalt thou be accepted. Cain, you can repent. You can repent and be forgiven. All will be well again. If you're willing to humble yourself and admit what you did was wrong and confess it and be forgiven and all, won't all be well again? Yes, it will be, but... If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. Sin's desire is to pounce on Cain and destroy him. And thou shalt rule over him. Cain's responsibility is to rule over his sin nature. But his sin nature wants to pounce on him and devour him. Now what does that have to do with... With, with Eve in, verse number, in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse number 16, the end of the verse, means thy desire shall be to thy husband. That is thy desire, just like sin's desire at the door to control Cain, the woman's desire will be to control her husband, to dominate him. And what will the husband do in response? He will rule over you. Susan Foe, in her book entitled Women and the Word of God, Susan Foe said, I believe, and she's speaking of verse number 16 here of Genesis 3. She said, I believe that aspect of the curse predicts marital strife brought on by a husband's oppressive rule over his wife and a wife's desire to dominate and lead the relationship. John MacArthur said with the fall and its curse came the distortion of a woman's proper submissiveness and of man's proper authority. That is where the battle of the sexes began, where women's liberation movements and male chauvinism were born. Women have a sinful inclination to usurp man's authority and men have a sinful inclination to put women under their feet. Conflict in the home. Consequence within me. I'm aware of stuff I really don't have any business knowing about and I feel so guilty and tempted. Consequences with God. All of a sudden I know I'm so different than He is and I'm, I'm guilty and I'm scared and I want to hide from Him because I know our relationship is broken. Consequences in people relationships in the home and other relationships as well. Blame shifting, stress, conflict, men dominating women, women trying to dominate men. These are all consequences of Genesis chapter 3. Without an understanding of Genesis 3, we're handicapped. To understand the rest of the Bible. What did sin do? Sin left man and woman knowing by sin knowing sin by experience and being filled with guilt and turmoil over their involvement. Sin left man and woman fearing their accountability with God and suffering the separation from Him. Sin left man and woman justifying themselves and looking for someone else to blame for their actions. Sin left man stressed out over how to work to provide enough for his family. Sin left woman looking for ways to control her husband. Sin left man becoming autocratic in his efforts to control and rule his wife. Such are the awful consequences of sin that have played themselves out in humanity for all these thousands of years. But do you know what the good news is? In Genesis 8 and verse number 21, the Bible said that the Lord God made coats of skins. For the first time in the created world that we know of, God killed a living animal slew it, its blood drained out into the soil of the earth. He skinned it and took its skin and he used the skin to cover over the nakedness of man and woman. The good news is that God put in motion his eternal plan to provide salvation from sin by the death of an innocent To cover over, which is what the word atonement means. To cover over the sin of the guilty person. And then from that day on, altars were built. Animals were slain. Blood was poured out. Carcasses were burnt as a sacrifice to God. Saying, God, the only hope for me. The only hope for me. Is that something that didn't sin. Dies in my place to cover over the guilt of my own sinful actions. and We know that Jesus Christ was finally presented to us as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb that was slain before Adam and Eve was existing. God, in His eternal plan, had already crucified Jesus Christ The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And then all of the Old Testament sacrifices. Pictures of the ultimate sacrifice. And then John the Baptist comes along. And he points to Jesus when Jesus came up. And Jesus said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And God's solution to sin is always... The shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. My religion won't fix my sin. My ceremonies won't fix my sin. My efforts won't fix my sin. My turning over a new leaf won't fix my sin. There's only one thing that can fix the gnawing guilt of sin in the depths of my heart. And that one thing is Jesus Christ's precious blood poured out on Calvary as the atoning blood that would cover and then wash away my sin so that I could stand before God just as if I'd never sinned, justified in his presence. And that gives me a born-again, new life in Jesus Christ. The good news. Is that God didn't leave sin unanswered. But the problem is. If we don't understand the depths of sin. We don't realize the magnitude of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. Because he who is forgiven of little loves little. And he who is forgiven of much loves much. Do you love Jesus Christ? We've sung about him today. Do you love Jesus Christ? He's been good to us. He has been a savior for our sin. Do you love him? If you're here today and you've never been saved, do you know he loves you and he wants you to be saved? Think deeply about your sin. Wrestle with God deeply about the guilt and the condemnation that is sending you to hell. Then run to the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ can forgive you and bring you into his family. Sin's consequences are met by God's cross.